So, oh yeah, got it. All right, here we go. Great, thanks. All right, hey, let's get rolling. Okay, so this is the, the best part of teaching. Like when you get this this chapter, okay, that you have to work on. And 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 in one of the commentaries I read, there's 38 individual workers that are named, okay, and 40 different, 42 different people groups. And I was like, yes, I can't pronounce a single one, okay. Um, this is going to be a stinking nightmare to go through a chapter like this. This is kind of like the great setup when Mike first became a Christian, and they told me to teach about the doctrine of salvation. And I thought, man, this is going to be simple. I'm just going to talk about my my salvation experience, and that's it. And lo and behold, the doctrine of salvation was so deep, I could hardly, you know, figure the whole thing out. And, uh, you know, that was like 25 years ago. So what I'm going to do here is um, we're going to open uh, in prayer. We're going to jump into this. And, and by the time I got done studying, you know, this this last week, um, this became one of my more favorite chapters. It was amazing. Like you look at you look at it and it's like like I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. Uh, when I take my kids there, I got five kids. I take them to Hershey Park. I sit on the bench and wait for them to get off. You know, like I don't go near those roller coasters. That's kind of how this chapter looked to me. You know, like I wanted no parts of it. Um, and it might, I might have breezed through it a couple of times in my, my history of reading through Nehemiah. I might have just kind of burned through this one. This one, I took my time. So I, it felt really good. So let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this group that is just completely dedicated you know, I, I, I definitely appreciate their wisdom, Lord, and um, they're helping me to grow as a leader, and, and, and I'm just thankful for that. Lord, give us your wisdom through your words. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I will, good morning, everybody. I should start with that. I've, I've got one cup of coffee and another one's just about done, okay? So we're ready to roll. I might be a little wound up. Um, so I'm going to share my screen. Oh shoot! Let me let me stop sharing. I did I did it wrong. I didn't share the uh, the audio like like I was told to. I am going to play a video this morning. Okay, I think that's going to be important. Okay, let's get started. So we are in week five. Okay, we're we're getting into chapter three. This is all about where the work begins. Okay, it's pretty cool because. Um, you know, you actually get to see some of those 52 days of building a wall in action and what took place. And there's a lot of uh, things to consider. So let's just start with a quick review. Okay. Let's see if I can get my, there we go. Okay. Just quick review from last week. Okay. Um, we, we did this study in, in the end of chapter two. Okay. Just wanted to point out a couple of things, you know, all these takeaways that we're getting from Nehemiah, okay? We, we know that leaders assess problems, okay? We saw the nocturnal research that Nehemiah went through last week, okay? You know, he, he traveled about 900 miles in about two months, okay, um, to get to a place where he waited for about three days, okay? He went out in the middle of the night when no one else was around and he assessed the problem, okay? So he gave himself some, some time. Okay, but then once he did that, okay, we talked about the four components of, you know, uh, what, what he took away from this vision. Okay, and, you know, talked a little bit about um, just that personal identification of the problem. You know, I think all throughout Nehemiah, you'll see, you know, that, that he um, identifies the state of affairs as a personal issue. He doesn't say, you guys 
are in ruins. You folks are a mess. He says we all the time. Okay, so it's a personal identification. Um, you know, he, he talks about the state of the solution. So, so basically, when Nehemiah states the problem, okay, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. You know, he'll talk about it, you know, Jerusalem and ruins. He'll talk about the gates being burned. Okay, but then he also provides a very clear solution. Let's rebuild. Okay, and he also explains why it should be done now. I think leaders, what sets them apart is, <clears throat> is timing. Okay, and, you know, Nehemiah in the end of chapter two, he's able to refer back to his experience with the king and how this was the time. You know, I think that's the part that, that leaders get people to follow them when they can articulate why now. Okay, we know we had hundreds of years in ruins, but why now? And I think Nehemiah expressed that. Okay, and again, at the very end of this, I think we, you know, kind of really considered the idea of a closed corporation. You know, think about people coming from the outside, you know, to take a look at our problems. And, you know, um, we know Nehemiah was prayerful for the people of Jerusalem. We know that he was emotional about it. Okay, but he wasn't there. He could have very, very well been ostracized because he was an outsider. Okay, but he was accepted. And this closed corporation thinking was avoided because, you know, he got in and was able to do this. So at the very end of the chapter, okay, we see that Nehemiah began, and you're going to see a lot of this, that uh, he was ridiculed, okay? And how he handled ridicule, I think it was a good lesson for all of us, okay? You know, again, he finished the chapter by saying, he's stating what this is. This is God's work. Okay, he's, he's explaining to the Jews that they are God's servants. Okay, but then again, at the end of this, he kind of draws a line in the sand, you know, with some of the critics. So I think he had courage as well as he was being mocked. You kind of got to know when to, when to speak and, and kind of when to hold your cards. So that's where we are. We're at this place. Okay, what I want to do is by the end of this, you know, I want to keep taking notes on leadership lessons that we're learning. Okay, um, so in chapter three, there's going to be some specific things that you take away. And I think what's been beneficial for me is you are seeing things that I'm not. And I think you can reread this. Is Nehemiah is a perfect example of why we read the Bible over and over and over again, because things come out that you don't see in, initially. Um, you need multiple sets of eyes. So I think you have to do a study in Nehemiah as a group because it's the only way that you see in totality what's being said and what's being taught, okay? So that kind of sets the table here, okay? What I wanna do is um, I'm gonna take you through a YouTube video. I, I really wanted to go through the entire chapter in totality, okay, and just take it all in. Just listen, take some notes, okay? And, and really what I want you to consider is Think about the theme of the whole passage. You know, it's 30 verses. Um, somebody else is going to read it. Um, I, I, I listen to a lot of different um, sermons on Nehemiah 3. And, you know, this just happened to be one where I felt like there was a nice little visual and it's going to take us on a trip around um, the wall and, and this passage in Nehemiah 3. So it's about eight minutes. I'm going to play it in totality, and then we'll go through and discuss it piece by piece, if that works, okay? 
if I can get a, a thumbs up once I get the link going and the sound going so I know it's it's good. Okay, if it's not, Matt Allett made the mistake. Okay. He he was my tech support. Okay, so let me get to the right spot. Uh, last week talking We're going to see here that everybody that was involved, everybody had a role, and everybody fit in somewhere. Okay, so we're looking at chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hasana. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section next to him. Uh, next to him, Meshalom, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel made repairs, and next to him Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, son of Besadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mitzpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of the Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Herhiaha, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section adjoining this. Jedaiah, son of Haramoth, Haramoth uh, made repairs opposite his house. And Hatush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Melkijah, son of Haram, and Hashub, Son of Pathan Moab, uh, Patheth Moab made repairs, uh, made repaired another section, and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hecarim. He, re he rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mitzpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. 
He also repaired the wall of the pool of Shiloam, Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to the point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites, under Rahum, son of Bani. And next to him, Hashabjah, ruler of a half-district of Kiliah, uh, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keliah. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mitzpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Elisha, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Meashiah, and son, and son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Hanadad, repaired another section and Azariah's, uh, from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle, uh, the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Pedaiah, son of Parash, and the temple servants living on the hill of Opful made repairs up to the point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Opful. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him... Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkajah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Okay. So let me see if I can get back to the PowerPoint. Okay, let's go right from the beginning. So, okay, one thing I want to talk about, just just as we kind of take a breath after all of that you know I, I i didn't want to kill you here right out of the shoot in the morning without any coffee in you but i thought that was very important to just soak in okay there's a very important um role model of mine that i enjoy with my children kevin james i don't know if you're a kevin james fan okay we are mall clock mall cop fans okay my kids love to do that so to watch that movie over and over again and i think i like to sit in the room with them so i'll admit that um, one thing he always says, there's a fun fact, 
right? Always a fun fact on something. Well, I found it interesting, you know, just to finish all of this with a fun fact. You know, think about this uh, when we when we consider geese, okay? Um, when you consider that geese actually fly, this has been studied, they fly 72% further when they fly in formation, okay? So in terms of a fun fact and crosswalking this to what we just listened to in chapter three, you know, I, I think it's very important to really soak in just the, the detail that was just given to us in chapter three and, and how work can be completed and why work is completed in a more efficient manner when it's this organized and this detailed, okay? So I think just let that resonate just a little bit. And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's kind of a useless fact with the geese, okay? Just like Paul Blart throws out useless facts, but I think it really makes a point that when you have organized labor or organized workforce or organized effort, you're gonna have greater production. And I think that's what we saw here from Nehemiah in, in chapter three, okay? So I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna burn right through the whole chapter just to have a couple of talking points. So this is the point where you take all those notes that you just took and you get to share your wisdom with me, okay? On what you just drew from that long you know, recitation, if you will. Um, you, you know, what I would say too is as we go through this, there's just, you know, uh, it, you know, 30 chapters, there's a few words I'm going to pull out of this, but there's going to be some points I want to lead to towards the end, um, just because I think it's, it's kind of imperative as we look at this. So this starts off, okay, we, we kind of went in a counterclockwise direction. As you see it going around the wall, okay, you know, again, I talked to you about the number of gates that were rebuilt, the number of people that were referenced, the number of people groups that were referenced, I think it's very good to go back through this and really take all that in and understand what each part of that wall is in order to, to reach the, the place where you completely understand what the rebuild looked like. But we started here, you know, I wanted to just point out that in our first slide here or our first uh, part of the passage, you know, that the starting point was a sheep gate, okay? What, why do we think we started at the sheep gate? You know, why was it important? You know, Elisha was a high priest, okay? He had a high calling, okay? And the nice thing we're seeing right out of the beginning here is the priests went to work. You know, their job is not manual labor, okay? Their job is the spiritual uh, foundation of the people, but, but they're going to labor here. So what, what do we see? Why do we start at the sheep gate? And as you're processing that, you know, think about it too. It didn't look like the sheep gate was a place where we put a lot of protection. Okay, we're gonna talk a little bit about that as well. So why would the sheep gate have been, you know, a place where it, it was a little bit more of an open door? Okay, it was a place to start. It's, uh, the names are usually relative to what, uh, what their function is. And so this is, this is likely where the offerings would have come into the city. And so it would have been highly valued to the, the priests because uh, it was directly related to, to their role in society. Yeah. And I think we're going to see, as we go through this, you're going to see, I'm going to talk a little bit about, 
you know, um, you know, guarding the wall and protecting our spaces. This was not a space that seemed to stand out as a place that was fortified. Um, so if there was going to be vulnerable activity, it's 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 where the sinners enter. It's where you know we we would come you know come to the sacrificial place uh, of worship. Uh, ironically, uh, Elisha, as you'll see later in the in the book, around the you know thirteenth fourteenth chapter, um, he actually uh, you know betrays Nehemiah. You know, I think there's a grandchild that that marries one of Sam Ballot's uh, kids. And, and you see this, this betrayal, if you will. So it's amazing how you start and you, you know, this is the first name represented, but you, it's kind of a, you know, kind of the preview here is, is Elisha is going to be a problem later on. So again, these are people that we put trust in and, and you're going to see how, how, how they walk this line as well. Um, you know, one, one thing I want to put up is when, when we talk about the word work biblically, okay, the work, the word work, okay, basically, and worship come from the same root word, and it's an offering, okay, so work is a, is, is a form of offering, okay, very similar to worship, so I, I think that we have to recognize that, that when we are doing things that the Lord has called us to do, that is an offering, Okay, so I think that's another piece of this that you'll see. There's a unification here with all the people. You know, there's there's an enthusiasm, and I think it's because they understood the work was worship. Okay, if your people that you lead understand that this is missions-based um, efforts, you know, like I always say this in education. Okay, I'm in a mission field. Okay, and I don't like educators who are not mission-based right? Okay. If you're in it because you like to go to the beach all summer and you like your summers off as a teacher, okay. If you like it because you have a pension, if you like it because, you know, you get tuition reimbursement, I'm not a fan of you as an educator. I want you to have mission-based um, upbringing, if you will, coming into the education field. And I think that's where work becomes worship and, it, and it's equal, okay? I think in, in our culture, Work is not equal to worship. And I think that's been a downfall, you know, of, of basically our culture and, and just, just where Christianity has come, come out of, okay? All right, I'll get off of that little tie trait there. Okay, next thing I want to get into was, you know, I, again, I, I highlighted the fish gate here, but that, that's not really all that important the names for me at this point. But what I wanted to point out was that there, there were intentionality um, in making these gates fortified, okay? The doors were put in place with bolts and bars, okay? So, so I think that we know as believers, okay, that there's gonna be attacks, okay, on, on Christianity, on, on God's plan, on God's purpose. If you don't begin a project with the understanding that we are gonna be attacked you know, in our pursuit of pursuing the Lord's plan, um, I think we're coming up short. We've got to know that we've got to put things in place um, for protection, okay? And I, I think I think a, a really unique part of this you're going to see as we move into chapter four and chapter five, okay, there's some there's a, a really good statement that I held on to, like I think in chapter four, 
uh, of an outside author. And I think it's very compelling with Nehemiah because you're going to see how this evolves with some of the outside persecution. And you're going to see where these people got to and how they live life every day. And I think it's going to send you a message as, as a believer on how we are to op operate in a secular culture. I think it's very important. As I move to the bottom of this, you're going to see, I, I really, you know, it, I'd really love to, you know, write a book on the men of Tekoa, okay? As you go through this, the men of Tekoa are, are really the only group here mentioned to do double work, okay? And you also see the men of Tekoa were led by nobles, okay, obviously, that were bums, okay? So you had a bunch of nobles, people who were aristocrats or people who, you know, I, I don't really know how to define a noble more so than, you know, somebody probably that, that, that kind of had a little silver spoon in their mouth and they wanted to stand by and watch people work for them, okay? These men of Tekoa were not even from Jerusalem. So these men of Tekoa traveled from about 11 miles outside of Jerusalem and they came to do the work. So to me, they feel like missionary type people, um, you know, people who you know, knew the greater purpose for rebuilding this wall. OK, you're going to find a little bit here that a lot of people engaged in the labor had houses along the wall. OK, these people did not. They had no personal interest. OK, they just showed up to work and they showed up to work and the nobles, you know, kind of kind of didn't do a darn thing. You know, so I think it's it's like uh, for whatever reason, there was motivation. The, the other thing you'll see in like verse 24 here in, in chapter three, the, pe the men in the Tekoa were, were the only group to do double work, you know, which I thought was cool. So I think that's a group of people that I I would really want to emulate. And I would want to challenge people that work for me to be men of Tekoa. You know, what else can I do? Here's your assignment. But what else can I do? Yeah, I'll slow down here a little bit. Any any comments so far? Okay, we'll keep moving then. Okay, the, the men of Tekoa, again, they had loyalty to God above, you know, a local loyalty. And I think that's important because, you know, you know how challenging it is. I mean, I know in my business, it's political. Okay, and there, there's a lot of things that I could attach myself to for personal gain, okay, for, uh, you know, uh, personal pride. Um, that's very difficult for me because in my business, um, you know, I got to be careful of my own motivation. You know, why am I aspiring to do something? Is it because God wants me to do something or is it because the flesh wants me to do something? And I, I think this is very important for us to understand as leaders as to, um, you, you know, what is our loyalty and to really drill down personally as we're involved in different things. So, again, we're seeing how bolts and bars are being used. <clears throat> Next thing I want to point out was, you know, we talked about the different people that were represented. Um, you know, I, I think when we do a task. Or, or we do something, uh, a project, and, and a church is a beautiful example, okay? They talked about using goldsmiths. They talked about using perfume makers, okay? There were priests that, were, that, that, that did the job. There were men. There were women, 
okay? And I think it's a, a perfect example. There's a couple of comments that I want to make. God believes in attitude over ability, okay? God, I believe, believes in availability over ability. And I believe God believes in humility over ability, okay? So I can remember when I coached football, one of the best football coaches that I've worked with in 20-some years never played a down of football themselves. I was, I was astonished because the guy was a um, – he, he was a college shot putter, okay? So he, he was an athlete. He knew how to teach kids, okay? And he learned how to teach a skill, and he was a, and he was a teacher at heart, and he did a great job as a football coach. And it really sent a message to me that sometimes the best football players are not the best coaches, you know? And I think when you crosswalk that here to this section and how these people restore a wall, it didn't say anything about masons. It didn't say anything about carpenters. It didn't say anything about plumbers, okay? You know, we fixed the dung gate and there wasn't any plumber around, okay? So I, I think for us, we have to really understand that it, it, it's about attitude, availability, and humility rather than ability. And I think if we work with our leaders, you know, as, as leaders, it, you know, so often we, we have people with pedigree that step up and say, I'm the person for the job. Okay. You know, we're going through this right now with looking for a superintendent, you know, at a Christian school. I'm amazed at the people that are being called to be considered. You know, and it's, it's not a cookie cutter calling. You know, some people start off in one field and move to a completely another uh, you know, field of service. Um, and they're very good at it. And it's amazing how their skills crosswalk. So some of you folks that are in leadership, let's just take a pause here and, and, and talk to me a little bit about your employees and what makes a good employee. You know, what makes a good uh, follower? This is like my hint to Brad, especially when he's hiring all those teenagers. Okay. When you're yeah, looking at the this, pressure. Yeah. That's 16 to 20 year old Brad. What makes a good one? Yeah. I agree with you about the attitude and the availability, you know, just the, the culture piece. Uh, like I talked about before is, um, you know, we can teach skills and I can, I can teach you how to make a sandwich, but if you don't have the right attitude, um, you know, that, that, that means a lot to us. So I, I love the, the aspect of bringing so many different people together in this chapter, because I, I wrote down like the goldsmiths and the serving merchants. And, and like that is that is a creativity of of all of this, like you said, just being willing and available to jump in and do whatever they can do. It wasn't about the skill, the trade of being a carpenter or whatnot. So I, I did find that pretty amazing in this chapter. Awesome. And I would say, you know, working with high school kids, I hear over and over again from employers that they don't care what the kids know. They just want to be able to show up for work on time, you know, to have to have a good soft skill set, you know. And I'm amazed at, at, at how much less they need of educational training, you know, but rather, you know, the attitudes, the availability, the humility, the soft skills, the people skills. And I think we're, we're, we're missing that, you know, and, and, and leadership, we've got to get back and see how these leaders in history grabbed hold of people and got them to get things done in 52 days. All right. So the next thing I want to jump into just as we hit into, you know, further in this chapter is, you know, highlight in your, in your Bible or, or wherever you're taking notes that, 
you know, there's about, you know, uh, six times that, that's mentioned that, you know, people were building on this wall near their house, opposite their house, uh, you know, next to a place of, of local identity. Um, I think I think that's very important because, you know, you stop and you think about our work as leaders. Anytime you have a leader, your work and your employees' work has a direct impact on their personal lives and their families. You know, if if you, I've, I've met some terrible leaders. Okay, that 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 have, um, you know, they've taken things in isolation. Here's your personal life. Here's your professional life. You know, especially in this day and age, in the twenty, you know, going toward the middle of the twenty first century, I'll say, you know, our lives are interconnected. So you really have to consider the direct impact that everything somebody does on the job has on their family, okay? Because at the end of the day, we need to identify where does Christian service begin? It begins in the home, you know? So we all wanna serve God, but we have to understand that our service begins in the home. So I think what Nehemiah recognized here was, you know, I'm gonna get these people and, and put them to work. Now, this guy might've, you know, he might've been a plumber, and I could have put him down by the dung gate, but that's probably not where he's going to be motivated or, or she's going to be motivated to work. I'll put them near their house to make it easier on them. Okay. So you think about yourself, you know, and I, I think there's some things you can pull from that in terms of, um, you know, when you're working with people. I mean, I'm amazed now at, you know, uh, when somebody comes into work, you know, they, they, they might have um, an elderly parent at home, you know, they might, might be a single, single mother, okay, um, you just might have a lot going on, and, and, and I think that as, as employers or leaders, we have to understand those situations, and we have to put people in the best positions possible, you know, some people might need an evening shift, some people might need a morning shift, some people might need weekend work, some people might need to take stuff home, you know, you need to understand the skill set that people have. Um, let me see here. I think that's all I really want to pop out to this is just that, you know, focus on this as we go through the rest of the passage about how they're near places of residence. Hey, Mike, and you think about like the men of Tekoa who traveled 11 miles from outside the city to come and repair, and then these people that repaired right next to their house. And I think an aspect of leadership is being willing to go with people as far as they're able to go to, right? So sometimes we feel like we need them to go to 11 miles, but they're not ready. Well, let's get you started here because this is still going to contribute. Absolutely. No doubt. You know, and I think I, I want to point out in this next section, you know, with the Dungate, that, that all work is not equal. Okay, I, I use this, this term all the time on my job, fair is not equal, and, and I believe in that. Um, I think we have to encourage people, but there, there are jobs that, that aren't glamorous, but they need done, you know, and I think that we have to understand how they contribute to the greater degree or the greater purpose of the greater mission. Um, so as a leader, you have to be willing, you know, you think about it, I, I think there was a ton of wall you know, that, that had, to, had to be completed, but it ended up at the Dungate, which is necessary. And, and that's something that we have to be able to understand and articulate to our people. They're, hey folks, there's some things that aren't as appealing, but it's gotta get done. So, so who's gonna be the one to do it? And I think people have to take shifts even in, in some of the Dungate work, 
You know, I think we all got to take part in Dungate at some point or another. And, and, and I think that's important to recognize in this role as well as leaders. Okay, I'm just gonna skip through a couple more. <clears throat> you know, this word popped out again, uh, zealously. And I wanna make sure this is what we call Nehemiah, you know? And I think when you see this adjective biblically, I think we've got to grab a hold of it and, and, and want to aspire to be it, okay? Um, you know, it, it, the Hebrew word zealous basically means to burn or to glow, okay? So you think about not only is Baruch, okay, working, and he's working on an assigned section, but he's burning or glowing for the Lord. He had a lot of energy. So this is where I talk about my buddy, Jason Winters. Okay. Jason is a construction guy. Okay. And um, if for me, I knew Jason, you know, 25 years ago, he did a project for me. And I, I was amazed at this one thing. Okay. He would come over and work. Okay. And his wife would show up about lunchtime and she'd bring him like a six pack of Gatorade. Okay. And, and she, she was visibly um, bothered because he would never stop to hydrate himself, okay? Like, like he'd just get after it. And, and I'm the guy paying him by the hour. So I was like, this is great. Have him dehydrate my backyard because he's, I'm getting my money's worth, okay? But what, what stood out to me was I was hiring a guy who was zealous, okay, about the work he was doing, okay? He, he, he had physical problems, okay? He dehydrated because he was so embodied in the work. And I, and I think, you know, that heightened en energy of Christian service, okay, is something, do we see that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the, the living proof. I like to go and gripe about, you know, if I have to move somebody out of their house, okay, you know, my brother Larry Locker there and I've done some moving in the past with di different people and I'll be the first one to gripe if I got to pick something up that's heavy as I'm helping somebody move. And, and I, I feel embarrassed about that. You know, I, I should be running around like a maniac because I'm so excited and so zealous to do the service, even though I hate moving, okay? That, that's something we should have that attitude and, and, and get to a place where, you know, we're dehydrated. Um, just thought I'd point that out as well with, with, with my, my good buddy, Jason. Okay, again. Just pointing out different facts where we're in front of houses, beside houses, okay? And we're going to hit verse 24 where we see the men of Tekoa again. Um, you know, at some point they are involved in work, okay? Um, oh, here we go. They repaired another section, okay? So it points out here again, Nehemiah, you know, took emphasis on this as he went through. Okay, again, in front of people's houses. Okay, so I just wanted to burn through the scripture just a little bit now to come to a point where we spend a lot of time here at the end just talking about takeaways, okay? And, and, and really want to summarize this with some, some leadership concepts that we see through this, this passage, if you will. So, you know, a couple of commentaries that I went through, some final thoughts here. Nehemiah 3 you know, these are principles for human labor. You know, I, I really think chapter three, and, and what we want to look at is, we, we really don't know who the author of Nehemiah is. Is it Nehemiah? Is it Ezra? 
Okay, who's writing this? It really seems as though it's first person writing these first couple of chapters by Nehemiah. It feels like he's journaling. Okay, um, think about this. I mean, if I was to write this down, would you have written chapter three with that kind of detail? Okay, I, I'm not sure I would have written it that way. Okay, so for, for me, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at how as a leader, I, I need to be super, super detailed. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big picture guy, you know, like I don't like details. Okay, it was up to me. I'd fly that airplane missing a wing and some wheels, you know, like I like just getting the plane up in the air and somebody else will figure out the parts. Okay, I need to settle myself back as a leader and understand that you have to be prepared, you have to be organized, you have to be detailed. Next thing, you know, again, I love the FAT acronym, okay? Our requirement as believers is nothing more than being faithful, available, teachable, okay? You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it, it's all well and good, you know, that, that you have an aptitude to do something, okay? You know, so like for me, again, I, I, think, I think educators in my business have to have an aptitude, but that doesn't make a good educator. Okay, you know, I, I said this the other night, it, it's not all about the what. It has a lot to do with the how, you know, how can you relate with kids? It's not what you know about kids. It's how do you how do you inter, in, interact with those kids? And, and I think that's a big proponent of this fat theory. Okay. The other point to be made is think about this for a hundred years, more than a hundred years, you know, People were status, satisfied with the status quo, okay? Are we the same way, you know? And what does it take, takes that one person to take us to another place, okay, in order to serve and correct? A couple other points I wanted to talk about, you know, 38 workers, 40, 42 different groups. Um, I put a little point here, you know, just that the, the word built actually means rebuilt, Okay, and repair was used. Okay, what this talks about is a quality product. Okay, and, and, and I think it's not just about doing the activity, but doing it right. And I think Nehemiah shows us with his detail, but also with the quality product, okay, that this, this wall is going to stand. What we're going to find as we move into chapter four is, you know, you're, you're going to find, I'll make a strong statement here at the end, but essentially, you know, the work is, is flying. The work is getting done. This is impressive. But guess what's coming immediately once good things happen? Here comes a persecution. And I think if you haven't built something with quality, okay, it is going to be uh, very susceptible to the persecution that is definitely going to come. You know, it's not possibly going to come. It's definitely going to come. Okay. Obviously, I talked about the locks and the bars. Okay, I talked about how God uses all kinds of people. Okay, people inside the city, outside the city. There's a job for everybody. And I think the leader has to be able to find a place where people can work most effectively. Okay, it is about delegation and, and, and division of labor. Okay, Nehemiah teaches us that. Okay, it's not about should you delegate. It's, it's about how detailed, how much delegation should you do. You know, I, I know a lot of leaders that, that are top down and, and they don't want to delegate. They don't trust. OK, and I think without trust, 
Okay, there's not a, there's not a lot that, that can get done in, in a larger organization. Okay, now in this whole thing, let me ask the question: What do you think Nehemiah was doing in chapter three? Any ideas? I mean, he's not mentioned. Was he there? You know, was, was he sitting with the nobles, you know, and, and, and just, uh, you know, I, what, what do you think was happening? I mean, I would guess that he was overseeing the work and like going around, making sure everyone had what they needed or, you know, making sure that it was done right or something to that effect. You would think, right? You'd think that he was had oversight to it. Was he working? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'd like to think that that he, he was not, you know, kind of um, one of those people that, you know, was just carrying a clipboard around and, and pointing. Was he an OSHA worker? You know, I got when I went to Nooresville, the biggest major was OSHA. Okay, all my buddies that played football with me majored in OSHA, and they walked around, you know, talking about how you're you're standing you're standing ten feet from a from, from a piece of machinery instead of 15 feet. And they would just check their boxes on their clipboards. I make fun of them all the time. They're still, you know, buddies of mine. They, everybody else does the work and they, you know, they, they, they nitpick about it. Um, I don't think Nehemiah was like that. I mean, we, we actually see, you know, in verse two, you know, he gives that charge. Let, you know, we need to start rebuilding. Okay, so he always talks with that personal pronoun and includes himself. In, in that action of work. Um, and we'll see later in chapters, you know, four and five that he's actually involved in work. So I know it happens. I just, I, I really wonder what this looked like, you know, as he's going through all this. Because it had to take days, I guess. I, I'd also love to know how long this took. You know, we know it took 52 days from beginning to end. Okay, but you know, this passage, how long was the setting? Okay, again, a couple of the notes that I brought up, leaders suffer in this area uh, of, of delegation because they don't trust. You know, for me, you know, when I, when I interviewed assistant coaches when I was a head coach, the first thing I asked them is if we're one and nine, okay, I got to make sure you're not stabbing me in the back, okay? And I, I, wanna, I want an assistant coach that is Mike Robinson's fan when we're one and nine. You know, and I think that's a big part of this, that when you are looking for people to surround yourself with, you got to be able to trust them. Now, obviously, I, I told you the first verse, OK, Elijah, OK, he, he was not trustworthy for Nehemiah. We're going to find that out. So you're going to have people that betray you. OK, but overall, we got we, we got to err on the side of trust. Okay, it seemed like Nehemiah was a motivator rather than a forcer. I didn't see him as that OSHA compliance worker or leader. You know, I saw him as, you know, rallying the folks, encouraging the folks. Uh, but that's, that's kind of, you know, that, that's kind of my own interpretation. Um, you know, again, I put a little note down here, the prayer and elbow of Greece create that spiritual harmony. I think people respected Nehemiah. I think they saw that, that, that he was sacrificial in his own life. And I think they, uh, for whatever reason, they all bought into what he was selling, okay? Um, you, you have to get that from your constituents. 
Okay, I, I do think you kept the meticulous records. Okay, read chapter three, and good lord, I, I'm not sure I could have written it that that well. Um, you know, it, I had this guy that I used to. I, I, I was an elementary principal, and I followed a guy who was an elementary principal for 19 years, and he was so anal retentive that that it, it drove me silly. Okay, but people loved him, so when I followed him, I was not detailed, and that was my greatest deficit following a guy of 19 years, he had planned every day of every year down to the, to the minute. Okay. And when I stepped in, I'm like, Oh, just go do it. Here's the kickball, go play kickball, you know, go teach. And it was really uncomfortable to the people that work with me. And I had to learn to become more meticulous. And I think that's, you know, that, that there's a sense of peace that people get from, from meticulous record keepers, from organizers for sure. And, and I didn't realize that until I failed in that area. Hey, Mike. Yeah. When, when you're teaching, how long does it take you to learn your kids' your kids' names? Name. Say that again. I missed that. What? When you're teaching, back when you were teaching, how long did it take you to learn your kids' names? Well, Steph, I got to tell you, there's a reason I was a football coach, and I put tape on helmets with names because I was terrible. So when I became a principal, I used to actually – uh, carry a yearbook around in my office and, and I would study the yearbook and then I'd walk out in the halls to try to catch kids to put names and faces together. So for me, that, that is a really big challenge. I'm not a good name person. Um, there's other people that are really slick with that, but I think for me, I have to put context to names. But he, um, Nehemiah was good with, with names. He, he, he down to that detail. So as he was going around, he was, he knew these guys there's a reason why he put this information in there because he knew who did what and how, how much effort was put into it. Absolutely. It's a great point. Great point. Okay. The last part I just wanted to, you know, put in there it was funny. One of the, one of the pastors I listened to, you know, talked about, you know, how people confuse spiritual gifts with service and labor. Okay, so like for me, when I hear somebody needs help in the, in the, in the, in the four-year-old nursery, and I'm like, nope, not my spiritual gift. I don't want any parts of little kids, okay? We've got to be careful, okay, about, you know, kind of segmenting that. Because you look at this work on the wall, okay, it's obvious that manual labor, okay, you know, repairing the gates and the bolts, okay, the block work, you know, the dung gate. You know, the Watergate, uh, repairing all those things could not have been a spiritual gift for people, but they did it anyway. So I, I think at some point as a church, we got to be careful not to have our own special contracts, right? You know, if, if uh, Ray Stewart tells me, you know, that's why I always say, like, I'll, I'll admit this openly. If Ray asks me to teach, it's not my role to say no. It just isn't. You know, for whatever reason, he asked me, so I guess I got to do it, okay? And, um, you know, I, I just think, for me, I've always had trouble saying no because I believe that it comes from somewhere. You know, that request or, or that acknowledgement has to come from somewhere. So, I, you know, you can say that there's danger in overcommitting, but I think there's also danger in having a special contract and saying that this is, is not my service and labor position, you know, it's not my spiritual gift. So I think you, you got to be careful with that for sure. 
Okay. Any other comments with chapter three? I just want to kind of close shop here. We got about eight minutes and I, I want to move forward, but I did a lot of talking this morning. I'm not a big fan of talking, but of course I will keep on doing it if you guys don't speak. Any thoughts with chapter three as we close that? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> after reading this chapter, I got kind of fired up. I feel like so often we go to church looking to receive as opposed to looking to give. And it was just a challenge to me, you know, let's, let's show up and be ready to work, you know, you know, be ready to serve in some capacity, whatever we're asked to do. It's, it's not meant to be a spectator sport. It's meant to be something that we are actively engaged in. And so it's just, a good reminder to me. I think it's a good reminder to, to good reminder. And it got me a little fired up, honestly. Oh boy. Well, hey, listen, emotion is, emotion is, is a great ruler. I love it. I love it. Any other thoughts with chapter three before I, I kind of preview what's coming? I also think, you know, this this chapter really shows Nehemiah's leadership skills. Nehemiah's leadership um, you know, he got he got a buy-in from everyone on this. Um, and I think anytime you want to get something accomplished for the Lord, you know, God size, not human size, but God size, um, God will lead you uh, in a way to get everyone in into the you know into your movement into your project and i think we could see nehemiah, nehemiah people from all walks of life to get this accomplished um i just think god used used him in a, in a pretty mighty way uh, to get this accomplished no doubt no doubt any other thoughts um i'll I'll say something because it wasn't mentioned. Um, I had read, yeah, you, I had read a bunch of commentaries, but one of the ones I thought was interesting was one that had said, um, like, obviously, like Nehemiah, I can't say obviously he wrote it, but it seems like he wrote it because of how detailed it is. And each person has been named, and it cut your eyes kind of glaze over the first time you read it. Because um, we weren't there, right? We don't know these people. We don't know these walls. We don't even know the, the gate. But the people who worked there knew those walls. They knew the people. They knew the gates. They knew the work that was being done. And so when they would read something to get back, it was like the greatest hits. You know, like if you've ever done a project that's bigger than yourself and you have all these people and you're coordinating them getting together, like if you, you were to write a similar thing, you'd be like, oh, look at that. And, you know, Jimmy built my, my staircase over there and, and J Joni built the, you know, the, the cabinets over there. And you'd be looking back with such sentimentality and this like awe of God of how many people it took to build it. And so that kind of put it like a human perspective versus like dissecting a little bit you know, over, you know, the big picture of this was a big God-sized project that would have meant so much to Nehemiah and all the people. Absolutely. Great point. Great point. The thing I noticed was that um, how much potential was sitting dormant until he tapped into it because there didn't seem to be any training that happened. That's fine. It's a great point. I mean, you think about it like, 
it, it really feels like, hey, you do this, you do this, you do this, hop to work. There's no no professional development. There's no, you know, training. They just kind of went at it. That's, a, that's an interesting comment. I just think about the, I mean, this, this is really summarizing up through chapter three, but we become familiar with the things as they are, right? So as we walk in and there, there's a big stain on the, on the carpet or, you know, there's, uh, you know, a light switch that's broken or something. We just get used to it and we adapt our lives around it um, oftentimes instead of fixing it. But Nehemiah had to give a vision for, no, this can be different. You guys have lived with this for decades and yet this can be better than it was. And so they had to see past what they'd been living in all their lives to something that was better and i just um yeah just challenge not to be familiar or become too familiar and comfortable with the way things are uh that we don't go after the way things could be absolutely great point i and one one thing that just keeps coming back in my head is how the Different sacrifices are a sweet aroma to God. And it's it's hard to get out of my head. It's it's uh, it's something that just means that, that God wants our best and he likes it. There's there's something about who we are that's important to him. And, and it's really cool how all this kind of ties together into that concept that the things we do are a sweet aroma to him. Perfect. And you think about it, you know, what, what did you do for God this week? You know, what, what was that sweet aroma? It's a great, great comment. All right. So let me, let me preview chapter four. Let's get into it. Um, and, and we'll kind of close here a little bit. want to give you guys some time to start your Saturday the right way too. Okay. Um, in chapter four, I just wanted to kind of wet your whistle. How's that? How's that? You know, let's just take a peek at chapter four, um, you know, and, and you saw what chapter three was, right? All kinds of names. It was like that recitation of, you know, what took place. What's the first sentence in chapter four? Okay. When Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed and he ridiculed the Jews. Okay, you know, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know that 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 is is just a, a, a forecasting of what's coming next. I mean, you think about the great things that we just talked about. Okay, we, we just identified in chapter three in detail, you know, the, this huge task, and we're going to be very quick now to move right to what actually happens when God's work is taking place. So there, it's not an if, it, you know, it, it's, it's really not if then, it's when, you know, that when you do this, this is going to happen. And, and I think as we look into chapter four for next week, I want you to study all of chapter four, you know, pull as many commentaries as you can. Um, we really want to focus on what are going to be those external things that are going to come our way as we're trying to focus on a task. So you think about, we had all these people in chapter three that were not experts. Remember, their aptitude was not high, but their attitude was, okay? 
And then how are they going to combat everything that, that comes at them from the outside, from the culture, you know, from, from Satan? I mean, I just think there's going to be so much of this stuff that they have to handle. And, and we're, going to, we're going to see how it, how it goes. Um, you're going to be called names. You're going, to, you're going to be made to feel inferior. Okay. You're going to be made to feel like you're wasting your time. And I think all these, these emotions are going to come out as we move forward into Nehemiah. And we're going to see how, as a leader, he deals with them. You know, I think that's, that's the cool preview about all of this. Okay. So what I'm trying to do as I go through this is just keep leadership lessons for myself. Um, so what I'd love to do is hear from everybody about, you know, chapter three and some of the leadership lessons that, that you took away. We'll start with that next week. Okay, because I like the idea of you guys contributing to my growth in this area, because I think, again, I'm not seeing everything that you are. Um, so I'd lo really love you to just articulate next week as we start what were some of the leadership lessons that were takeaways. And I, I try to type some in as I go. The one thing I need to give you preface for me as a presenter or a speaker or a teacher, uh, my spelling stinks, my grammar stinks. Usually my PowerPoints are not in final form when I'm talking. A lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm fixing them as I'm going. Um, that's always been, I, I make fun of myself when I'm doing presentations because I always have a misspelling or a grammatical error somewhere. Um, and you've got to call me doctor, right? That's the funniest thing about all of this, that I, I've got the worst grammar in the world. And, you know, people have to use a, a prefix now for me. I have to, I have to laugh about that. Um, so, you, you know, that's, I, I want you to pull leadership lessons. You know, what were they as we start next week? Um, one, one thing I want to leave you with, you know, basically, uh, this is again from Warren Wiersbe, that, that when we have opposition, okay, it's evidence that God is blessing and it's also an opportunity to grow, okay? So we need to expect trouble. And that's, that's as we move to chapter four, we know that things are going well for Nehemiah, but now you got to expect the trouble, okay? So let, let's think about that. Um, I want you to, to crosswalk that and make application to your own life and, and kind of go from there. Okay. Any final comments or thoughts? I failed this week because I was supposed to give you all a telephone call to find out, you know, how God's working on your heart here with what your why is. Okay. And I didn't do that. So I'll, I'll accept that failure. Uh, but I would like to speak to some of you privately just to, to understand where you see God leading, you know, in this area. Because I do think if you're going to take the time at 630 in the morning every Saturday to go through this and to read with detail, God's using you in some way, you know, so. Um, I always worry when all these tiles start showing up, is it just going to be Ray and I, you know, not that, not that I don't like you, Ray, and I'll, and we'll still go after it if we have to, if you're the only one sitting here. Okay. But, but it, there's a little nervousness in the first five minutes, like who's going to show up, you know, did, did people say my sleep's more important than studying the word with Mike, you know, so Obviously, the fact that there's been consistency, it's evident to me that God's working with each one of you and has something planned for you because he wants you to go through this scripture. There's no doubt in my mind. Any final thoughts? 
Okay. Have a great Saturday, everybody. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, all. All right, Eric. Good to see you, buddy.